Hey folks, it's Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency and you are listening to a new episode of Successfully Funded. Here we go. Let's turn it up. Turn it up. Yeah! All right, crowdfunders, how is everybody doing out there? The beautiful, wonderful space of crowdfunding. You know the you know the lines I say. Twice a week, right? If you're a regular listener, you keep hearing them over and over. I am your host, Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel, CEO of Woodshed Agency. And what do we do? We specialize in crowdfunding. That's right. Kickstarters, Indiegogos, uh, reward-based crowdfunding. So that's Start Engines, uh, WeFunder, Republic, all those different platforms, looking for investors. So yeah, we do it all. And then we also have e-commerce. So that's what we do. In this podcast, we like to talk to project creators while they're in the middle of a campaign or their campaign has just finished up. That way we are giving you guys out there the most up-to-date information on what you need to be doing to be successfully funded. That is what it's all about. How do we get your projects funded so that you can go on and uh, and start your business or launch your product or live out your dreams, whatever it might be. So on today's episode, we have, I believe this might be either our second or third third biggest campaign that we've ever talked to. We're going to be talking to Dale Backus in just a little bit. He's from the um, the Kickstarter campaign, Oh Snap Grip. And they have raised over $1.1 million, and they have over 25,000 backers with three days to go. I, they're trending right now to $1.3 million. Yeah. So buckle up and stay tuned for that. Uh, interview that I'm, I'm going to have with Dale here in a minute because I, when when you hear how quickly they turned this product uh, and turned it up, it's shocking. So this campaign is it, it, it's gigantic and it has done really really well. I think something interesting when you're looking at it, um, if you go look at the campaign and stuff, is check out how they did partnerships. A lot of stuff to to unpack here. So like I said, that conversation is coming up in just a little bit. So what else is going on over here in the one ones away? Well, we're fully moved back into the office. You know, um, uh, I don't know if it's the right thing to be doing, but man, I had to get out of the house, so we're fully moved in. I've got the death. I'm looking. I'm sitting right now at the Death Star. It's all rebuilt over here. Uh, I got a couple new things I want to add. Plus, uh, the way we've redone the entire space, the entire building space, it's opened up uh, a room for us to do actually some of our post production. So uh, our principal photography or um, even some of our video work is going to start happening in a new room, so we're building out that. And then last but not least, I need to install a TV because we've got a new tool where we're going to be able to monitor and watch our crowdfunding campaign. So we've got that, which is going to be amazing as well. So got some new changes, which I'm excited about. Hopefully we're putting together some of that stuff over the weekend. Um, and, and it's also, it's been, a, I, I got to be honest, I've done an Amazon uh, crazy week. I've bought a lot of stuff. I bought some new underwear, which I'm excited about. It was time, you know, some new boxer briefs. So I got those coming. I got a new bike helmet, which is, I think, going to look sweet. Uh, uh, you know, we'll see. Um, I, I've never had a bike helmet before, but, you know, I got to ride safe, right? Got to ride safe. So I picked up one of those. I got a new charging station for all my devices. And I've also built, you know, since I moved the, um, you know, the Death Star back to the office, I needed, you know, I have to have a little bit of a workspace at home. So I've actually created, I think, uh, it's pretty functional. It's a like an iPad workstation. Um, so I've got an iPad that goes up on a stand. I bought this thing called the Heckler Design. It's a so it puts my iPad up higher so that I'm not always crouched over. And then I'm I'm actually using Bluetooth to connect um, a mouse and keyboard to my iPad, 
and I gotta tell you, it's pretty functional. Most of the time, I have said, you know, iPads have been challenging because you can't, I don't think you could do real work on them. And I'm getting pretty close. The only thing I can't do right now is spreadsheets. You know, I can open them, but I can't really do like intense spreadsheet type work. So that's been a little bit frustrating. That's the only one that I've kind of run into. But in terms of like messaging or, you know, being, being you know, quick, quick to get back to people, email, base camp, that type of stuff. I'm pretty happy with my new setup. So invested in some of those things. And um, speaking of investing, you know, another thing I want to talk about is I am, you know, I've been trying to use the Robinhood app for the last maybe year or so. I got, I'm going to put it out there. I don't know what I'm doing. I, I don't really know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't quite get it. And I think, I don't know, man, I'm trying to invest in a little bit of this stuff, you know, but I feel like every time thing I'm doing, I'm buying like, you know, five shares of Ford or something like that. I don't think I'm doing it right. I feel like I'm missing something. And I'm going to be doing some research over the weekend. I'm going to try to dive in. I'm going to try to figure out what is it, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing? You know, maybe what am I supposed to be looking for? I guess I don't really know. Um, even some of the app stuff too, I, I'm having a challenging time like figuring out, like I don't know why I can't buy more shares of something. Like, I, I don't know. If you're somebody out there who is a maybe an expert in this, maybe this is something that you guys do. Hey, I'd love to maybe get on a call and, and have you walk me through. Maybe maybe my mindset's wrong on it. I don't know. But I'd like to get into it more. You know, so I don't know if you guys are out there doing it or not. It seems like, boy, it should be, right? Like, I, I don't know, just putting some money around, moving some stuff, doing doing things here and there. So working on that, working on that. Another thing that happened this week is I had, uh, if you're a regular listener, you know that you know my dad passed away in February, and I've had uh, four or five really intense dreams. And I haven't had one in a while, but I did this week again. Uh, my last dream uh, that I had was very impactful. It was... Uh, well, go back to that episode. It's about maybe about 15 episodes back or so. Maybe not even, no, not that many. Maybe 10 episodes back. I guess I could have found, I could have done a little bit of research and found the actual episode. I apologize for that. That is poor pre-production. It's just, it's my bad. But with that, that said, I, did, I had another intense dream this week. Um, this one, uh, very similar in terms of uh, feeling like something is leaving me. Um, the, the best way I could describe it is if you've ever seen the movie Green Mile, it felt, the dream felt like that where, uh, the, was it the John Coffee, the, the, the stuff all comes, starts coming out of his mouth. That's what kind of happened in my dream. It felt like what it felt like was I'm, I'm laying there. Aaron is next to me. <laughs> Excuse me. Holy cow. Holy cow. I should have hit the mute button. I didn't. So you guys had to deal with that sneeze. Hope you guys are all right. Hope you guys, you know, maybe popped the headphones out so it wasn't so intense. Who knows what you guys did. But so back to my dream. So the dream starts with Aaron and I laying in bed. I get, She's like sort of uh, laying on me a little bit or laying closer to me. And all of a sudden my arms feel like they're, like I can't move. I feel like I'm paralyzed. Um, and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs, it feels like. Or I'm like squirming and I'm like panicking a little bit. And all that happens is I open my mouth and all this stuff starts coming out. Now, I haven't watched Green Mile in a long time. I, you know, it's not like I watched that and I'm just regurgitating that. But it definitely had this feel again around uh, death and and releasing stuff. So it was another really intense dream, it, man. And it, it did the same thing where chills for like the next two or three hours where I can't get like warm even though it's, you know, hot in our house and stuff. Um and I'm in this like funk days. I said funk. I said funk. 
but I'm in this sort of daze um, and confused sort of state for it feels like for like two or three hours and that whole day, man, I, I I felt like I was like I never even slept. So really, really like body impactful, if that makes sense, like just really heavy and weight on me. So I had that the other day. So I got that going on, which is nice. But I combated all that with buying a bunch of stuff on Amazon, right? Isn't that the best way to do it? That's what I tell the therapist every uh, every week. You know, I just buy more stuff when when you're when you're uh, when you're dealing with stuff. So I don't know. There's a couple of things kind of going around here. You know, all in all, though, pretty good week. I can't complain. Um, you know, we're just uh, just hanging out here, man. Just trying to continue to stay safe. Trying to get back to whatever this new norm is, um, whatever that might look like. But who knows, right? So, all right. With all that said. I already told you this is this episode that's coming up here in a minute is going to be outstanding. I mean, seriously, three days to go, already one point one million dollars, and and continuing to, to climb, over twenty five thousand backers. That's so many orders. That would make me nervous. I, I gotta be honest. I'd be very nervous about twenty five thousand backers. Um, but for everybody else, if you're thinking about doing crowdfunding, I, you gotta go over to our website, Woodshed.agency. Right now, you got a blog every Tuesday that you can look at. All kinds of content there. Um, you've got obviously this podcast every Monday and Thursday, we've got new episodes coming out with, with project creators telling you how they became successful. So, I mean, come on, you gotta be listening there. We also have our 30 minute review show. That is where I'm reviewing Kickstarter campaigns that are are getting ready to pre-launch or they just launched and I go through their campaign page and offer suggestions. So we've got, uh, you know, advice there. And then, you know, we've got a community. If you click the communities, um, tab there. You can join us over on Discord where we've got over 90-some people talking about crowdfunding on a day-to-day basis. So again, lots of valuable information there. You're not alone out there if you're doing crowdfunding, right? Which it can it can feel like a lonely world. So we want you to make sure that you guys are, you know, have, have info. Um, and then last but not least, you can uh, click the consultation button and I give everybody 20 minutes, man. If you got 20 minutes, I got 20 minutes for you. Uh, I'd love to hear what you're working on. We can talk about your project and I can give you just some reality checks as to what needs to happen for you to become successfully funded because there's so many, uh, so much information out there, you can kind of get lost in it. So all that stuff, it's all free, man. All of it's free. You just got to dive in, chew it up, spit it out, talk to us, all that sort of stuff. But um, all right, with all that said, let's go ahead and kick my conversation with Dale. Uh, and let's talk about Oh Snap Grip and how this guy absolutely hit a grand slam. All right, here's our interview. All right, Dale, the red light's on. I'm sure you can feel the pressure, right? Are you, are you okay? It's getting hot in here already. Okay, all right, all right. I just want to make sure. So quick question before we jump into it. What did you have for breakfast this morning? Uh, a Jimmy John sub. Jimmy John's sub for breakfast. Okay. All right. I don't actually, that's... uh, I don't actually eat breakfast most mornings. So I actually, okay. you know, that's what I have for lunch. So I think, okay. Yeah, that's I don't, the first I'm not meal. a big breakfast guy. Not a big breakfast okay. guy. Whenever I wake up, I'm usually just bolting out the door. Um, sure. or, you know, or, or if I'm not, I just, I don't know. I don't get hungry for another like two or three hours after I wake sure. up. Sure. So. Yeah. That's all right. Well, what kind of sub then from Jimmy John's, but what, what number? Uh, it was like, uh, I don't even remember what number it was. It's some, some like night Italian or something like that. Okay. All right. The, 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 all right. All right. I, I don't actually eat a lot of Jimmy John's. I was just like in the area. So sure. And they have, they're so fast, you know, you just like went online, the app, plug in the order and ran in five minutes yeah. later, grabbed it. Yeah. 
Well, I think that's, I think that's their whole motto. So I think, all right, I think we've done a really good Jimmy John's ad here uh, to start us <laughs> off. We've kicked it off yeah, really well yeah. there. Well, uh, yeah. well, why don't we, yeah, why don't we jump into actually why we're uh, talking? Um, why don't you do me a favor, kind of introduce yourself and uh, tell my listeners what you're currently raising money for uh, over on Kickstarter. Yeah. Yeah. So my name is Dale Backus. Um, I've been a startup founder for going on 15 years. Um, and so my, my latest venture is called Snap, and we're essentially, you know, trying to make the, you know, products for smartphones and just our mobile technology. I just feel like there's a big, a big opportunity here because, you know, if you want Amazon and you're looking for any phone accessory, for example, right, there's just a, a million different brands and options, mass majority of them, uh, the vast majority of them are, uh, you know, just Chinese brands you've never heard of. And, and so I just don't feel like no anyone's successfully gone into this market and has wrapped up like a nice brand around, okay, if, you have a, if you're looking for something to solve your mobile accessory problem, you know, I'm, I have a name in my mind that I go and I know and I trust and I can get mm-hmm. that from them every time. And so anyway, we're starting out with the grip. Um, you know, the grip, the phone grip is massively dominated by pop sockets, as I'm sure everyone knows. Um, they're, they're a very large company that sprung up, you know, almost accidentally when this, they just really well timed it when almost, you know, just fell into it, um, so to speak. And, um, and it just has been the dominating player since there's a lot of other grip options out there, but I just feel like it's one of those areas like where the, the battleground on the back of the phone is, is, is everyone's fighting over it. But I just feel like there's very, very few solidly well-designed, you know, solution solvers, solution creators, you know, that, that exists. And so we, um, uh, you know, I I actually had a a first campaign that we ran back in September was my first iteration of that product. Right. So, Mm. um, you know, we, I had been working on that product for a couple of years, actually, while I was, you know, working on my last startup and, um, and we made that because, uh, I I just went to a, a trade show, went to CES a few years ago and I saw, PopSox was there and they were killing it. And there's another company called Love Handle um, that was there and they were just, they were killing it. And that was a simple elastic band thing on the back of the phone. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, there's just, there's so much opportunity in this space. And I just don't think it was doing a particularly good job. And so it sort of stuck in my mind. And, um, and then one night I had this idea of using a, like a slap bracelet mechanism, a bi- it's called a bi-stable spring. And it's like, if I can just, I need to mute that, don't I? That is annoying. Um, Sorry. They're popular. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it, every, yeah, everybody's, uh, everybody's digging at yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, so I was like, man, it, it's like you need something to be, you need to be really thin and you need it to like, you know, not get in the way, but you also need to do all mm-hmm. these things. And I was like, a bicycle spring is super flat, super compact, but then it opens up into this very 3D structure that then you can manipulate and use. And um, anyway, so I built that product around that concept and it took me a long time to figure out how to do that, which, which in hindsight is just, just idiotic because <laughs> the, the, the bi-stable spring, you know, long story short is a, is a, is a very finicky sort of structure. Um, it's not designed for just repetitive cycling over and over <laughs> and over, like for, you know, hundreds of thousands of times, most bicycle springs have a lifespan of like 5,000 cycles, 10,000 cycles. <laughs> we didn't learn this until like way too late. And so we launched this <laughs> Kickstarter campaign in September. We did 460 K on it on Kickstarter. We did, um, another 200 or so in Indiegogo and then, you know, it's a bunch more after, after those ended and, you know, we shipped those out, went on our website, sold a bunch there. And then we started seeing just a huge spike in replacement requests. Like they were breaking like crazy and we were just wow. like freaking out, trying to figure out 
you know, okay, what, how can we get our hands wrapped around this? You know, can we just redesign to make the band replaceable or something? Can we figure out some new way to process the metal so it's more long, you know, long life? We do all these texture, uh, uh, fixtures and um, <laughs> trying to figure out, like we were doing all this crazy cycle testing and trying to figure out if we can screen the, the springs beforehand before we build them to see if we can like weed out like, you know, the ones that are prone yeah. to failure. Anyway, long story short, we couldn't figure it out. And so this was in around February, this was all happening. And, um, and I was just, I was at my wits end with it. And I was like, all right, well now we're sitting on, you know, a product that people want, but a failing business model, because, um, you know, when you're, when you're selling a $20, $30 product, you just, you do, there's not a lot of room for sending multiple replacements to people, right? right. I mean, shipping yeah. alone eats up every penny of margin. So we were basically losing money hand over fist and it was just unsustainable. So I was like, either are they, we're going to run out of cash entirely um, or we have to change something. And I, and, yeah. and I was just kind of so over that design. And I was like, all right, well, maybe we can come up with something better. Um, this is this is one of those classic, you know, business stories you hear a lot where you find yourself, you you, you had an idea, right? You, you tested that idea and the idea was an utter failure. And now you're sitting here, you know, the, the cash position is terrible. You know, you have people counting on you and you're like, all right, now it's time to pivot, right? Now, what is right. that pivot? And it's like, it's, it's just all hands on deck, just trying to figure out the right pivot and then figuring out how to, how to execute on that pivot. Um, and I was just like, let's see if we can make something better. And I'm going to give myself a month to do it because that's how close on cash we were. Um, <laughs> wow. And, uh, and so we, uh, we essentially in the month of March, I, you know, it's funny because it, it's funny because it all coincided with the, with the COVID thing. Yeah. So we kind of got locked in our houses anyway. And so I was at my house basically all day, every day. And I was just, I was essentially flipped my schedule. So I was working, completely because I have kids and, you know, they're doing school and stuff during the day and I right. live in a small house. And so it was impossible to do anything during the day. So I, I rotated my schedule. So I was up all night going to bed around eight, 9 AM. And, um, and I was just working every night, all night. I had my 3d printer on my table next to me and I was just like grinding out, um, you know, night after night after night, trying to figure out this, this, this new product. Um, and we figured it out and, uh, in, in about 30 days. And then we kind of, you know, me and my, my partner, Dave, were, were both doing kind of like working in tandem and we were kind of like designing things and meeting and talking about it and going off and designing things. And we ended up, ended up coming up with what we came up with really, really quickly. And then we said, all right, we have this design. I think it's going to work. It's going to be durable. It's going to be much cheaper to make so we can, it can be, you know, cheaper price for the customer. It's not going to break. It actually does some things that the other product couldn't do. One of which is wireless charging. Wireless charging yeah. was a big feature that we missed out on the last one. And uh, so let's 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 say we're going to launch this Kickstarter early May. We're going to make that the date. Let's do what we can <laughs> to get to that date. It was like a three month sprint. And um, wow. so here we are. We launched a campaign like on May eighth or something. Because Kickstarter was really dragging their feet on for us on getting the campaign approved. Um, and uh, but we would have hit the date. We were ready to launch on May fifth, which is our target. <laughs> And uh, here we are, we're at um, 764,000 with 14 days to go. So yeah, it's going pretty well. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So, I mean, with that short amount of time, what, I mean, were you guys worried about like metrics for this product? Were you, you know, to launch the Kickstarter, were you worried about testing at all? Were you trying to get any sort of testimonials or feedback? Like, it seems like that's a really, really short time cycle to... To oh, yeah. sort of spin up a spin up a product, you know. Oh yeah, it's it's crazy short. I mean, it's crazy short. But I mean, that's yeah. sort of I sort of if I have a superpower, if if I have one at all, I think it's it's that it's like that that compressed timeline, you know, pulling something out of a hat sort of thing. And and you know, I, I've been, I've been designing physical products for a long time, um, and and it's what my last business, you know, that I started twelve years ago was. 
And so I had a bunch of stories in that business where I did this very similar thing where, okay, oh crap, we're almost out of money. What are we going to do? Let's throw this thing together really fast. And so when you're designing a product, right, you, you have all these constraints that you try to build. I, I, I believe that the more constraints you put on yourself, the more creative you're forced to be. And therefore, that's where like the real treasures can come from. Um, and that's why I think startups are so successful a lot of the time because they have so many more constraints than larger companies. Larger companies can build whatever the hell they want. Um, and, and there's no constraints almost. And so it, it, the creativity is just, is just not as, as high in a lot of cases. And you have a bunch of people, stakeholders and crap to deal with. But this is just like the buck starts and stops with me. And so I knew very clearly the problem I was trying to solve. I knew very clearly the, the constraints I put on it, which were, A, it had to be – actually, I designed it in a way where one of the constraints was it had to be manufacturable in the U.S. as a fail-safe. Just because of everything that was going on, all the geopolitical turmoil and the China crap right. and the virus crap, I was like, worst-case scenario, this thing needs to be, be able to be built in the U.S. Because the last product, wouldn't like you could not build that product in the U.S. It was literally impossible wow. because of how many different processes it required – um, or this one, you know, that was a constraint, the constraint of having a durable mechanism that, you know, wouldn't fail over 100,000 cycles or whatever, you know, and the other one was how to use processes that I are fully understood. Nothing was proprietary or, 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 or high risk, like the bicycle spring thing. We'd figure out how to cut that, how to bend that the process, how to code it, like all that crap just took mm. time cycles in China where this is just simply it's, it's injection with a plastic, some stamped metal and some, right. you know, some compression molded silicon. It's all very understood processes. So there's really just not a lot of ways it can fail. And that was inherent into the input variables of the design itself. And so that's, and honestly, like sometimes the best things come out of situations like this when you're completely backed into a sure. corner and you have a billion constraints pouring down on you and there's only really one or two ways out. And if you can find that way out, um, you know, you can really, you can really succeed. And that's, and that's essentially, you know, what we did. And so, yeah, we didn't have a lot of time for user testing or anything or getting testimonials, which obviously we would like to have had. Um, but it was one of those situations where we just, you know, we, we, it is, it is what it was and we just didn't have time right. for it. You know, like the, the company probably would, wouldn't be here right now if, if we weren't able to do this in the time frame we were able to do it. And so. That's cool. Now, did you have any thoughts of not using Kickstarter and just start selling it on, on the website or, you know, just because of COVID and all this sort of stuff? Like, were you thinking, why don't we just put it on the website, you know, or, or something like yeah, that? And yeah. just well, the, 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 the Kickstarter is, is funny because it's the original intention for Kickstarter is, is almost very much like this. It's, you know, you, you have an idea, you, you, you feel very confident you can bring it to life, but you don't have the money up front or you're not sure what the demand is going to be. And so it gives you, you know, a, a framework to test those things and, or to build that, you know, that upfront money you, or cap, cap, capital you need to go build the molds or whatever. And that's essentially where we found ourselves. Like we didn't have the cash really right. on hand to actually go develop this thing, you know, the production tools and stuff um, upfront. And so, you know, um, this allows us to collect a bunch of money up front. Um, which is really almost like, it's almost like, uh, you know, we're looking at it as orders, absolutely, but also almost investment money. Um, yeah. You know, so if we were to start on our website, you know, from the time we had the product designed to the time it would have taken us to start getting money out of that design is much, much longer if it was on our website versus on Kickstarter. Um, and there's just something about Kickstarter I really like. Um, it's like one of the values of Kickstarter, especially with a startup, is it public. And everyone can look at the number. And if you're confident you can do a, something good or, you know, achieve a high number, then it's like, it just gives you this immediate clout, you know, like, yeah. 
you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Shark Tank. I watch a lot of it. And, you know, anytime you watch an episode of that and someone goes on there and says, yeah, I've been on Kickstarter. Like, oh, yeah, how much did you raise? And if, if you say, like, you know, something even as modest as, like, 50K or 100K, they're like, oh, really? Wow, you know? And yeah. if, you know, if you go on there and say a million dollars, you're like, holy crap. And so, right. like, it's just it's different than being, like, sales on your website because if it's, if it's private, then you can really say whatever you want. Yeah, they can mm-hmm. audit it and whatever. But um, there's just something about just, like, the energy around of Kickstarter, the community, the really all these people are really, like, huge like fans of the thing usually they're highly right, emotional right. and so when you succeed you really succeed big but the flip side is, is if you fail you fail big um right. and so we got a taste of that last time <laughs> now is there any sort of um uh hesitation at all because you're like a price per unit isn't very high you know it's not like a hundred dollar two hundred dollar yeah. thing um so you have to have a lot of volume a lot of numbers but is there any hesitation in, in your mind at all when it, when it comes to that or you, you just Listen, we knew that it was going to be a, a good campaign. Yeah, no, I mean, the first campaign, I didn't know what to think. Um, you know, it was my first Kickstarter campaign ever, really. And um, yeah, and it was a cheaper product. And so, yeah, I, I was like, when I started the campaign, I was like, all I want to do, I just want to get hit, hit 50K. And hit 50K, <laughs> I'll at least like, I'll feel pretty good about that. 100K would be great, you know. And then we we hit those numbers pretty quickly. And I was like, oh, wow. And so you know, we ended up with 466 um and i was like oh that was just way higher than i thought we we would get right with that what we would yeah. achieve and we learned so much during that campaign we did a ton of things terribly wrong um and and you know if you want we can talk about that later but like <laughs> with this campaign we got to apply all of those lessons that we learned um and i went into it with a much higher level of um of confidence because a we had that that history we now we had a a, a customer list when we started the first campaign we had we didn't start from maybe we had zero list. We didn't email right. anybody when we started. Like, it was just <laughs> friends and family, you know. And, and then we started working with some agencies and stuff. But with this one, we you know we did 130k or something like that on the first day, which was yeah. all from just people that you know had bought the first version of the product and stuff. And so yeah, I mean I just I don't know I, when I first if it was my first campaign or if I hadn't done one yet, I'd say absolutely. But now I'm like no, because I know we can do it. Right. Yeah, it's very cool. Very cool. So. You know, for for a product like this, what was the thing that might have been keeping you up at night in terms of design? I mean, that sounds like that's where you really your head is. Like, what was the thing though that as you were kind of going through building all this, that you were just like, Whew, "Can I do this?" Or can I make sure I don't repeat a past mistake like on the you know uh, the other campaign? Was there anything that you were just really worried about? Absolutely, and always. You know, the the, <laughs> the biggest thing is just you know a good brand um, is a brand that you know, communicates a promise and delivers on that promise, right? And and it's, it's become commonplace for brands to say, you know, we will deliver you the world, you know, and then in reality, right. deliver you a grape. And, and that and that sort of, we kind of fell into that trap a little bit, even though we had every intention of delivering what we said we were going to deliver. And we ultimately did deliver the product we said we would deliver, even though it was a couple months late. Um, you know, we... I just the the whole longevity durability issue just kind of surprised us, and, and that so since then there's like this chip on my shoulder to to absolutely do everything possible to make sure that that doesn't happen again. They say sure. you know this is what the product does, this is what we promise to you, and we're going to deliver it this time. Like it's going to be on time, it's going to be what you think it's going to be, and it's going to last. Um, and, and if you can do that, you can really create 
like raving fans for your brand. And that's ultimately what we try to do because in Kickstarter just has, is getting sort of a bad rep in a lot, like with a lot of people. And you read, you read comments of campaigns that look successful in the front. If you go to our last campaign and read through the comments, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a nightmare, Um, you know, And, and it's just, is that indicative of the overall experience of the campaign? Not, not really. Um, but if, even if you go on other campaigns that looked really successful on the surface and you go read the comments, it's largely a lot of the time people on there going, swearing off Kickstarter and saying, I'm, yeah. I'm never going to do this again. You guys are crooks. You guys are thieves and blah, blah, blah. And we still get that, you know, people literally emailing us out of the blue or whatever being like, you guys are thieves, you're terrible people. And that's just, that's just bound to happen. Um, so, so that's the thing that keeps me up mostly is just, how do we convert the highest possible percentage of people of backers into, you know, raving, super happy customers? Sure. Um, sure. It's because we don't, we never walk into these things ever, ever thinking that this is like a one-time, you know, get a bunch of money and run to the bank. Like <laughs> right. people think, like they see four hundred sixty thousand dollars, like all oh, these guys are like laughing all the way to the bank. We lost a significant <laughs> amount of money right. on that first campaign because yeah. we did. We, we didn't we didn't build shipping right. We totally like just underestimated the shipping costs, and we ate about 100k there um, just alone. And this, so there's just so much that that goes into logistics of fulfillment and supply chain and quality and QC checks and all the stuff that you know. And then tariffs like were way higher than we thought. I mean, there's 25 percent yeah. tariff on this on this category of product into the U.S. Wow. That alone. I mean, so yeah, it's just. That's the thing, you know, is just I want people, I want to build a brand that makes great products. I know I can. It's just, um, you know, you have to earn people's trust, you know, and so that, that's my biggest concern. Yeah. How'd you get into product design? What, what's your background? How'd you get into this and, and start, you know, making products? Yeah, I, I don't know. I've always, I just, ever since I was a kid, I just always wanted to invent products. I always tried inventing products and, um, and I really started doing it shortly after high school i mean even even through you know my childhood i built little things here and there like i, I ever heard of lego mindstorms i was like a even heard of that it's like the robotic yeah, yeah. lego thing yeah, the little, that yeah. came out i mean i'm 34 34 right 34 35 it came out when i was like 13 so it's been out for a long long time yeah like first yeah. generation of that whole thing came out when i was like 13 years old and i got one and um and i loved it i loved building little robots i could do stuff you know and i was using that all even through high school in high school i made a I made this robot that would um, cook me a hamburger like when I was, I used to go off campus for lunch in high school. So I would drive home and then make myself a hamburger on my George Foreman grill and I'd go back to school. And so, but the time, the time to do that was very tight. So it'd be like 35 minutes, right? The time it takes to drive home, cook a hamburger and drive back. I was always racing, you know, I was like, it'd be great if I could just have a burger waiting for me when I got there, it would save me like 10 minutes. And so I built this little Lego robot that, you know, was on a timer, essentially. It was like, you know, triggered, just turned, like basically plug in the Foreman grill, start heating it up and the lower hamburger into the thing and then close the lid and turn off the power to the Foreman. Um, and uh, so I just always just been that way. I've always just, I always see problems. I always come up with tons of ideas for ways to solve that problem. That's always been just how I am wired that way. And then um, after high school, a buddy of mine, um, we're both into videography, really heavy into videography. And um, we started a, uh, a little video production company and video production at the time. And even today, you know, this was back when digital filmmaking was just getting started. Right. And so you could go buy like a 720p, you know, video camera for like five grand. But it like yeah. looked because like the compression was like really, really heavy yeah. inside the camera and it looked terrible. And, yeah. and so we, were, we, were, we got really heavy into like modifying cameras to make them look better, like little cheap cameras <laughs> using 35 millimeter adapters and stuff. So I got mm-hmm. 
really interested in doing that. And then I was always constantly building little rigs, like motion automation rigs and like dollies and little backpack computers to reduce compression of the files, always building stuff like that. And then one of those things I built was a monitor um, because I built this rig to capture uncompressed video from our video camera. That we also, but we also needed a monitor that could monitor the video camera itself. And I needed a monitor that was small enough to like be on the camera, but switch between the computer interface and the camera interface. So I built that monitor, and then I, and then we, and I ended up turning that that product into a company called Small HD, which I built over 10, 12 years, and then sold it. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I don't know, I, I didn't really, it wasn't like a line in the sand for me. It was just <laughs> yeah. always something I've been interested in doing. That's cool. And, and what kind of like team members do you have right now around you to, to help kind of? Um, get these ideas polished and get them up out, out into the world. In a, like O Snap right now? Yeah, yeah, in O Snap. Yeah, what kind of team yeah, members like, do you have? We're, we're a tiny team right now. It's me and four other guys. Um, one of them I mentioned earlier, Dave, who's mm-hmm. like my cohort on the product design stuff. So you know, we we work together very closely on just new product stuff. And I'm more on the front end of development. He's more like the next steps. So there's like concept and ideation, and there's like you know, more of like the refinement of the product and there's sort of DFM or design for manufacturing, which neither of us like to do. And we're trying to find ways to outsource that. Um, and then I have a, uh, an operations guy named Mark and a, we have a, like a media production, you know, graphic designer, website guy, you know, video creator named JD yeah. and a marketing, a marketing lead named Bogdan, um, who does all of like, you know, he's, he's the one who primarily drove the creation, of all the, the campaign assets and, you know, and that kind of thing. So it's really, that's it. Just me and four other guys. That's cool. You know, when you're putting together, I think this is something that's uh, challenging for a lot of entrepreneurs or, or people in this. How did you know what pieces that you needed people that you wanted around you? I mean, you mentioned, you know, you can do video, it sounds like. So like, do you, yeah. you know, why have another guy? Like, like what were you looking for and making sure that you put together the right team to a get a product off the ground in short amount of time and, and, and then still have success with it. Like what are you looking for when, when it comes to that? Yeah, man, that's a good question. Um, you know, a lot of it's just intuition, but for me, you know, having built multiple companies, you know, I feel like my role is, uh, you know, as CEO or whatever is, is prominently or most, mostly to have the vision, right. Which is really what I'm, I I find, I think I'm best at is just seeing sort of five years in the future and sort Mm -hmm. of plotting a chart to that, right. And finding ways to productize and chop things off, you know, to kind of, build towards that vision, but also have things to sell on the way. I'm pretty good at that. Um, and then, you know, that's, so that's like the, my primary role. And then the other role I have is essentially building the team and making and enabling that team. Like I, I, I'm a lot of CEOs because they usually start by themselves or whatever, a lot of founders, right. They start where they do everything they have. And it yeah. becomes really difficult for people to let go of those things. Um, because there's a lot of love founders are OCD and they're extremely like detail oriented. And so it gets very difficult for people to let things go. I'm sort of the opposite. I've never had problems with letting things go mm. almost to a fault. Um, like <laughs> I'll like give things to people and then, and then like be like, la 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 la, you know, and just, just like go do it, go do it. And, and so almost to a, so I got, so it's really, really extra important for me to make sure I'm hiring the right people, the people that I know, are, can work autonomously that have the same level of commitment to quality and, and you know, standards that I do um, because of that. And that's, you know, you can't obviously completely disconnect from your people, but um, it's important that, uh, you know, they, they understand the whole vision and everything, but, you know, they also really work on their own and it, and it works really well for me yeah. that way. And I, I like building businesses that where I'm not like 
the most, because I think it's partly an ego thing. A lot of founders want to build themselves into the middle of this sort of culture ecosystem where everything passes through them because it makes them feel powerful right. or makes them feel like they're in control or important or whatever it is. But that, that is really just a bad way to do it because, um, you know, this, it just now people, people don't feel empowered or enabled or, or they don't feel like they tr you trust them or I don't know what it is, but, um, yeah, I, I build myself sort of on the outside and I let them do their best work. And I really try to enable people to do that. And in terms of actually hiring and knowing when to hire and all that, um, I don't know, man, you just, you, you look, you look in yourself and you say, what am I the best at? And what do I know I want to do? And where can I really add value and be honest with yourself? Then you find the things that you're, you know, you're not good at and you, and you, but you also know is important or critical to get that business to the next level. And you go find that person, which is hard yeah. to do, which is really, really yeah. hard to do. And I've been fortunate where sort of the right people sort of fell into my life at the right time. You know, like I honestly, yeah. the way this team formed is really weird because I mean, I built a company over 10 years that ended up having like 80 people in it. And I could have went and plucked, you know, a bunch of people from that business, but I, it's almost weird that I didn't, but the only person I took from that business was Dave. Um, and then the other three guys that kind of came to me in really weird ways. And so you look at those people and go, wow, this guy would be a really good fit. And it's, and it's, it's, it's hard to resist that urge to like hire people that you know, or that is comfortable to hire, you know, yeah, um, right. but you just got to hire people that are the right fit for the job you're looking for, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, let's, let's flip over to the actual Kickstarter and talk a little bit more specific around that. So, I mean, when we're talking, you got about 14 days to go. Um, you kind of mentioned some of the numbers earlier, but I mean, you're, while we're talking right now, you've got just under 20,000 backers and you're at like almost 765,000. That's mm -hmm. a lot of orders. That's a lot, yeah. of, lot of backers. So, you know, obviously, you, you know, you, you came out of the gate strong with your mailing list and having a huge first day. But I think my question is going to be around... Um, you know, is there any nervousness of delivering that many uh, products to that many backers and the tariffs and the shipping and all the stuff that you talked about from first campaign to this one? Yeah. What are some of those adjustments? Because I can tell you for a fact, I've ruined a couple of companies because of shipping and, you know, like <laughs> we, we didn't calculate it quite correctly, you know? So yeah. how are you yeah. guys uh, approaching it this time to make sure that you're, you know, not, not, not doing a mistake again? Yep. Yep. And so a lot of that goes into, um, a just having a, a a lesson, you know, a prior campaign that we can we can say, okay, here's what we did right, here's what we did wrong, knowing mm -hmm. that going into it. So before we even like started the campaign, we had, you know, we knew the physical properties of what we were going to be shipping, and we had all the quotes, and we knew we knew which companies were good and which companies were bad. Um, we 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 have a fulfillment center that we use in in like you know I'm I'm in Cary, uh, North Carolina, near which is near Raleigh, um, and then we have a uh, a fulfillment center in Durham. And then that does all of our domestic shipping essentially. Mm -hmm. So that, that is, we struggled with the first campaign in terms of, do we ship everything from China to Durham and then back out to, you right, know, right. like, you know, overseas in Europe and that kind of stuff. Like that seems weird. And then we, we found a company called Flowship, um, who is a international, essentially 3PL, um, which is based in Hong Kong. And that's what we ended up doing on that first campaign. We basically took all the U.S. Canada orders and we shipped them here and we fulfilled those out of our fulfillment center in Durham. And then we, anything outside, basically, you know, the U.S. and U.S. and Canada, we shipped, you know, to Flowship, and then they shipped to Europe and Australia and Japan. Right. Yeah. Um, and that worked out pretty well, except the cost on all of that was way higher than we than we planned for. Um, and so, like I said, we lost a lot of money. It was just some huge sticker shock moments of that. It was just like, oh my God, <laughs> um, it, just, it was just terrible. And so 
And then, and then when we went to, after, after that campaign, we went to our website, we learned a lot too, because we were, you know, Amazon's created this, everything needs to ship fast and free sort of culture. And, and, yeah. you know, as a small company, it's just, we don't get the rates they get, you know, and we don't, we're not charging right. people hundred dollars a year for Amazon Prime. So, and we weren't on Amazon. And so it's really the only way to get the product was on our website. And so it took us a while, but, you know, um, Mark, the operations guy, he over time figured out how to continually reduce our shipping costs or fulfillment costs to the point where we can now ship these things for a really, really low price from, from again, our, our center in Durham, um, our direct orders on our website. And so we went to the new campaign. Um, you know, we had all that knowledge and we said, you know, okay, we're going to do the same thing we did last time. Essentially, we're going to do U.S. orders out of Durham. We're going to do um, international orders either with FlowShip or EasyShip. I'm not even sure what, what he settled yeah. on yet, um, you know, because there's another company called EasyShip that does the same sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you can go to them ahead of time and they'll, they say, okay, what are you shipping? How much are you shipping? Where are you shipping to? They'll give you quotes that are going to be accurate. And it's going to include tariffs and customs. If you want it, if you want to pay customs for your customers or not, you want them to pay. Right. And you just have to know all that going into it. Just don't wait until you've launched your campaign to get those quotes and estimates because you will regret it. Um, yeah. and so, so yeah, that was, uh, that was a huge, huge lesson. And not so on the fulfillment side, I feel pretty good about it because we've worked with these people. We know how it's going to work. We know how much it's going to cost. Yeah. And we know how long it's going to take because it always takes <laughs> right. longer than you think. Um, and then on the uh, on this, the production side of that, you know, fulfilling all these orders, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with that actually because this is actually the one thing I do pretty well. And I know these suppliers we're using. I've been using them for like 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, I know what they're capable of. And so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too concerned about that. That's cool. Has there been something in this campaign that stuck out that you had you did not expect at all in terms of like I don't know a country that's really popular right that's backing a lot or anything that's that's been um, you know something you just didn't expect? Yeah, no. Uh, so one thing I didn't mention is that um, is that one one of the decisions we made on this campaign was to not ship. We were very we were a lot more uh, exclusive. And to the countries we decided to allow, allow, you know, to place orders. So like the first campaign, we basically said anywhere in the world, huge mistake. Cause you mm -hmm. end up with like two, two orders from in Mongolia and like one order right. into Zimbabwe and another, and you end up paying so much money um, for those orders. And that's a huge reason why we lost a lot of money. And so this campaign, we limited it to like 12 or 14 different countries, basically mm -hmm. our first campaign. And we basically sorted it by, you know, orders and then my country. And we said, okay, anything below, you know, whatever it was, 1%, half percent, whatever, as the right. total number, we're not going to ship to those countries. And that, that made things a lot easier for us. But in terms of, um, in terms of what surprised me, I mean, honestly, just the, the, how well it's gone has, has frankly surprised me because like I said, our first campaign was a bit tumultuous in, in some ways. And, you know, we went back to those same people and we said, Hey guys, this is what happened. We were honest with them. And we said, listen, like, I know a lot of these, these orders, these units you're using are failing and, you know, and we're just getting to the point where we just can't continue shipping replacements. But you know, what we're going to do for you is, um, cause if I had if we had money, right. And we were in a much healthier spot, I would have just said, Hey guys, if you back the project, you know, the first time and go, well, we're just going to give you this new product for free. But I'm just, right. I, we literally just could not do that. Yeah. Um, and then, but we, we did say, said, Hey, if you back us, you know, if you spend $15 with us on our new campaign, you'll get the product and you'll get a, another unit for free. You'll get an extra unit for free. And I just thought, you know, some people would be like, okay, I'll give these guys another chance or whatever. But right. the response was a lot higher than I expected, which is a That's really, cool. really good feeling for me. Um, yeah. And so that was surprising. And just the overall, how, how well it's gone in general has, has surprised me. 
That's cool. Now, uh, it sounds like I think for both campaigns, you you went with uh, some partners, right? The, mm-hmm. Some of the agency partners. Uh, was that something you always wanted to do on this campaign too? And was that was there any conversation like you know what, maybe we don't do it because we've already done them the first time and we've got a mailing list and we've got some some yeah. you know, or, or is it like no we, we wanted to to bring bring on these partners? Yeah. So so when it comes to that, right? It's all about just what's your expectation and then how, what's your strategy to deliver that expectation. Vast majority of people go into a Kickstarter with, you know, a certain expectation, a huge, hugely false idea of, of how they're going to meet that expectation. And, um, you know, that's just the, the founder curse is tend to be over optimistic and we tend to think we're, you know, people are way more aware of us than they actually are. And so, um, you know, we knew we were going to have a better day one because we had a list this time, but we didn't know how that, how well that was going to go. And so it's always been the plan to have, you know, an ad strategy where agencies were, you know, out there continually pushing traffic to the site because the way Kickstarter works, as you know, is, you know, you want to be a trending project. You want to be like a lot of people go and click explore and then click trending. And that's how they just browse Kickstarter. And so you really want to be above the fold, which is like top 12 as much as you possibly can, which is, I mean, asking a lot because there's thousands of campaigns at a given time. Right. right? But um, to do that, you have to have a consistent flow of traffic to your page and you can't, you can't do that organically. You just can't, even if you were guaranteed like outside the algorithm, for some reason you have some special clause where you could be in the top five, um, all the time, and then you weren't going to run ads, it still wouldn't give you a very consistent order rate. Like that, or you'd be surprised that, that, you know, even being top five, a lot of the time, you know, the organic rate still isn't, isn't the majority of where we're getting our conversions from. It's right. from ads. And so, you know, you just, it's just the reality of, of, of selling anything this day, these days. It's just, yep. you have to, you have to, unless, unless you're, you know, an established brand, you can rely on word of mouth, you're already shipping the product. That's one thing. But if you're, selling something that no one's ever seen or used before you have to you have to promote it and you have to get people coming you have to create this vacuum and bring people into your into your universe and so um yeah so we we uh we used funded today the first time um the first campaign exclusively this time we went back to them for the first week of the campaign but then we also signed a backer kit um who who's doing a really really good job i've been really impressed with them with our with our facebook ad strategy um, and then we have uh, another one called Impremise, um, who's who's doing ads for us as well. So there's no reason why you can't use multiple agencies. You just have to go to yep. them, and you have to say, you know, you have to work the deal and make sure the terms are 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 good for both of you. And 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 for us, the big thing I liked about Funded Today the first time is that they funded the ad spend out of their mm-hmm. pocket, and then they just bill you for it after the campaign's over. So mm-hmm. you don't need a ton of cash up front, yep. um, and you just have to make sure that your ROAS, your return on ad spend stays above a certain threshold. Otherwise that can really, really screw you. Um, but so we did the same thing this time around with funds today and the other two uh, agencies as well. They're, they're all funding the ad spend themselves. And then we're just basically going to reimburse them for That's it cool. after the campaign, yeah. which is a huge, huge, huge deal, you know? Yeah. Very, yeah, very definitely. Important. Very, very cool. So, you know, once this, you know, the money starts dropping, you know, uh, after 14 days, um, what starts happening in terms of production to get, these units into people's hands. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, all that's already happening. Um, you know, like we're not waiting for the campaign to, to, to finish to, to do anything. We know we're going to have to deliver this product. Right. So yeah. we've been working even before we launched the campaign, we were working on all that stuff. But, um, you know, right now what we're doing most right now is just finalizing, um, what we call a design design packages, basically the, 
the, the documentation you need to hand to a manufacturer to start making your product or, or whatever. Uh, we've been doing that. You know, the grip has been done. The grip's actually already, um, the molds are made. I'm actually getting production samples of that next week. Um, and so that was like, we were really ahead of the curve on that one because that obviously is the most important. And then snap charge has become really, really important strategically for us as well. We're seeing a lot of really good response. A lot of people are ordering that. Um, and so we're probably going to end up having to make 15,000 or so just of those. And that's a little more complicated, um, you know, cause I circuitry and everything. So I found yeah. a, there's a company called Klugonics, um, that, uh, that I don't even, I think I met him at CES or something. Mm. Um, and they, they're sort of like, there's a lot of these kinds of companies. They're like a turnkey, like you have an idea, we'll get you to manufacturing kind of thing. But we, we really are utilizing them primarily in the manufacturing side. They have a really tight network of suppliers in China. They're all vetted. They have boots on the ground in China so they can go audit factories. And like, for instance, we like have this cable. I found Alibaba that I really like. I want to use a snap charge, but you know, are they good quality? Is this a buyer right, quality? Right. This company can walk over there and say, hey, guys, we looked at their, their operations. They're sketchy. Okay. Um, and so that's really, really big. And so I partnered with them you know, on Snap Charge specifically because I really just want to make sure that you know, that thing is delivered um, with, a, with, with a high bar of quality. And, and for us, you know, being such a small team, it was just, it was just tricky to, I just didn't want to, I just didn't feel comfortable taking that on entirely <laughs> sure. ourselves. And this, right. these guys use factories that are already building wireless chargers for like Apple and Samsung. And so like, we know, yeah. they know what they're doing and I can just trust it. It allows me and Dave to focus on, you know, other things, right? So we have this right. ecosystem we're building, like, and we introduced the the stand a couple of days ago and that has mm-hmm. a huge response. Yeah. Uh, and so, so yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it's, Every every product kind of has its own timeline. They're all overlapping in various ways, and and we're basically prioritizing it in order of complexity. Um, so the grip is honestly the most complex. So that's already been shipped off to manufacturers. Is already molds have been made. Snap charge was a close second. You know that's in the hands of a of a professional. Um, we're doing the design and the ID, and we, we have to make, actually control the experience and everything. But we're just basically handing them a design file from there. They're going to make the drawings and do all the supplier stuff. Um, and then we have the stand and the car mount and the mount, the other mount, which are much simpler products that we're now, yeah. that's what we're doing right now actually is, is, um, that. So that's cool. So yeah. what is, you know, what's the next five years look like for you? You know, what, what are you, what are you thinking about continuing to make an ecosystem, like an ecosystem around the, yeah. the smartphone? Is it more products than that? In that sort of, uh, Oh yeah. That oh, sort yeah. Of thing? We, we have, we have a huge, huge, you know, chest of ideas that were, um, going to be bringing to life over the next couple of years. Um, you know, like ultimately sort of like what I alluded to at the beginning is, is I want to be, Oh snap is I want it to be a brand in this like mobile accessory space that, that is a true, you know, American, American styled brand, you know, that, that has a good reputation for, Hey, if you buy a phone, what's your, now what's the next brand in your head? You know, I want it to be a right. snap like that. That is really the ultimate vision because, we're seeing a, a huge emotional response from people. It was really interesting when we introduced the stand, um, which I don't have anywhere around me. But when I, when I introduced the stand a couple of days ago, the response to that was like tons of people were basically saying, hey, uh, you know, I, I wasn't oh, here. Just um, this thing here. Oh, right. So yep. it's got the snap charge on it and then it's magnetically, you know, attached yep. to this and, you know, it sticks on and you can yeah, cool. it around. Um this is a pretty simple product, but when we introduced it, a lot of people were like, 
now because you came out with this, I want this charger now too. Like, so we didn't right. upsell a new product. They went and bought the snap charge because before the stand, people weren't really sure how they were going to use it. So you give them this very clear solution. Now they're jumping all over it. Um, and so I just feel like that's what the industry is missing, man. Like you go on Amazon, you have cable, you need a screen protector, you need a case, you need a grip, you need a stand, you need a car mount, whatever. You just, you're just going to buy those things from eight different brands and they're not going to yep. work well together because the right. big problem people have is if you go buy a grip, the 90% chances is it's not going to work with the car mount you have and vice <laughs> yeah. versa, you know, yeah. and, and, or the case. Now the case, you know, supplants your grip or the case now doesn't yeah. fit in your car mount. It, it just constantly is this endless cycle of the like, deprecation and, and repurchasing. And, and so if, if someone can actually come into the space and think about sort of all the ways we use our mobile devices and make sure every product we introduce is intentionally thought through to where, okay, well, if, if they buy any product from us, it's going to work well with all the other products right. they buy from us. And you're never going to have to yeah. go, oh, well, crap, now I have to rebuy this thing or that thing. Right. And that's really, the, that's really the vision for the company. I, I just, I'm surprised there are some brands that are kind of doing it, but none of them really have like that brand power, you know, that, yeah. you know, like Mophie comes to mind and um, a couple other ones that they're slipping my mind now. But yeah, so anyway, we, we have a lot of products like batteries and cases and yeah. other mounts cool. and tablet accessories and, and so yeah it's gonna it's gonna be a busy yeah. busy few years yeah i mean you're uh you're preaching the choir here I, I i just upgraded to the airpod pros and it like broke like three of my accessories because yep. they don't fit yep. now and i was like mm-hmm. well dang it <laughs> and then you gotta buy the whole you, you know it's like oh that sucks yeah. <laughs> you know yeah exactly. uh, well that's cool exactly. yeah well, uh, you know, so I've been ending all my podcasts since we're all, we've all been in lockdown for a while with sort of like some simple questions that are nothing to do with Kickstarter, nothing to do with crowdfunding, more of like a lightning round. So if you're game for it, okay. I'll, I'll send them your way. You in? Yeah. All right. What have you been watching uh, in the Netflix land or the Hulu land or HBO land? What have you been watching that uh, caught your fancy? Yeah, I've been, through, been through a couple series with my wife. Um, we were watching Traveler. There's a show on Netflix called Travelers that were hmm. it's three seasons long. They it got canceled. Um, but it's a really cool show about like time travel and whatnot. We, we watched through okay. that. Um, and I'm like one of those people that I tend just to watch a lot of reruns. And so like yeah. my, so my go-tos like The Office, How I Met Your Mother, That 70s Show. So I just kind of like watch that stuff a lot. But I don't really, I haven't really watched a ton of like new cool stuff. I'm, I probably have, I just can't think of it right now. But Travelers is the most recent one. It's a pretty good show. Okay. Okay. How about a movie? Have you watched a movie recently that you, uh, you enjoy? Oh, I know. I honestly haven't. Like, I don't. No? We don't really watch a lot of movies these days. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Actually, I neither did, do I. I. The, I did watch the new, the latest Star Wars, like the last Star Wars that came out. I watched that recently. That was that was quite good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Apparently. The movies are. Uh, once I got small kids, man, the movies just they just fell out of my life. I just don't have yeah. two and a half hours to just sit down <laughs> un, uninterrupted. Of like, let me watch this yeah, movie. Exactly, you know. Yeah. Exactly. yeah those days yeah, are long that's gone. The thing, man. That's the thing. That's why I like yeah. shows better. Yep. How about, uh, how about, is there a podcast outside of mine? I mean, I know you're listening to mine every day. You're some big time subscriber leaving reviews, but is there any other podcast you listen to? Yeah, there is. Um, yeah, I, I listen to, um, there's a bunch. I, I'm a big Buffalo Bills fan. So I listen to a lot of Buffalo Bills podcasts, um, which is real quick. How do you become a Buffalo Bills fan? Aren't you in North Carolina? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 my, uh, my family's from Buffalo and I actually lived in Buffalo for a few years when I was a kid. During the whole like Buffalo Bills, you know, Super Bowl era. Yeah, yeah the Jim Kelly era, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thurman Thomas. I live in Buffalo, so have to yeah. be a Buffalo Bills fan. Yeah. Huge Buffalo Bills fan. This is our year, I promise. Um, and then I listen to a bunch of stuff like How I Built This, Masters of Scale, um, you know, the Founder Podcast, Story Brand Podcast, Invest Like the Best, The Pitch, 
zero to IPO. There's a bunch of them. I kind of um, rotate around. There's one called the better questions, um, which I like a lot. So yeah, it, 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 I don't listen to every episode of all of those, you know, I yeah, just yeah. Kind of like, right. but when I listen to podcasts, I blew the, the subscriptions and I find the one that I'm interested in. I will listen to yeah. that one. That's cool. How about a book? You read, uh, read any books? I do. Yeah. Um, I just, I'm in the middle of a, of a book right now called how to like, it's called never lose a customer again. Um, Hmm. by Joey Coleman. That's a very interesting book. Um, I'd recommend it. And there's one I was reading before that called the design of everyday things, a very popular book in like product design, you know, it's cool. Very, very cool. And my last one is, I mean, are there websites that you kind of frequent or go to just to stay up on either your industry or marketing or just, you know, just websites that you kind of frequent quite a bit? No, like I'm, I'm mm-hmm. like, I, I really, I really don't browse the internet on my laptop very much. Like when I'm using yeah. my laptop is I'm, I'm working. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, on my phone, you know, I do, I spend a lot of time on Reddit on my phone. Yeah. Uh, like my, if I'm like, Bored, which is rare. If I'm ever like you know in the bathroom or something, like I'll I'll pop open Reddit and just scroll through. I'm actually a big. I don't play a lot of video games. I play one video game that I really really like called No Man's Sky. Um, mm-hmm. It's a uh, it's like a space exploration game, and that's like it's like the thing I do that just chills me out. It's a very yeah. chill. You just like fly around space and stuff. And so I like there's like a, a Reddit channel for that game. I, I spend some time in and whatnot. But that's that's pretty much that's pretty much it, man. I yeah. I just most most of my life is. Doing business, coming up with new product ideas, you know, living, have kids and a wife, and so there's that <laughs> that whole thing, and and then uh, yeah. yeah, that's a thing. Podcasts and books, and yep, that's cool. That's yep. cool. Well, where should we send people? I mean, where should people if they want to dive into your guys's universe outside of the Kickstarter? Obviously, I'll have the Kickstarter link, but where should people go to just kind of dive in and learn about what you guys are working on? Yeah, I mean, really, osnap.com is the best place. Um, you know, but honestly, there's just not a lot about us as a company yet out there. And that's something we're going to be working on. We're actually right now scheming up like a, we want to make some sort of um, like YouTube series or documentary or podcast. We haven't really figured it out yet, but we just feel like I always felt like there's just not a lot of content that's like really raw behind the scenes of what it is to build a startup out there. Like if you know anything, I'd be interested in seeing or hearing it. I just, there was a, there was a podcast called um, startup, by oh, great. Back when Gimlet like, I loved first it. came out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like that yeah. first season and maybe the second so season good. were really, really good. Then they yeah. kind of got away from like that, that like really raw yeah. documentative yeah. style. And I and I I've been looking for something either in podcast or form or video form that I can't find anything like it. I think I think everybody in the startup community would really want to see something like that. What are like the honest like behind the yeah. scenes because like you go watch like the social network which is just like the john ties version of facebook well yeah i mean it wasn't yeah. really like that. i mean I'm right, sure right, right. it was yeah. like loosely tied to the truth um yep. but you know then none of the people look like that and so <laughs> you know it's like i just so we're we're thinking about doing something like that in the future because i i think that it's just it's unique content no one else has done i just know yeah I'm constantly telling my startup stories and to people because they find it interesting. But what if they could just watch it? You know, um, mm-hmm. there's actually there's actually a small documentary that was made about me and my partner, my last business. You can find, um, I think it's on uh, Vimeo. Do you remember what that thing is called, Dave? God, okay. It's all the the the, the something story. The, the the small. I think this is called the small HD story. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> cool. I think if you go on, if you go on. Um, I'll send it to you later if you want. Yeah, yeah, definitely send it. Draw on a blank on what the hell it's called, but it's pretty interesting. It's basically talks about the first five years of my first startup 
and I was really young. I looked like five years old in it. Um, but that's, that's, it's a pretty crazy story, actually. So yeah. just because a lot of like how, how we got to where we were is, is very unconventional. It involved like doing some video contests for Doritos and the Super Bowl and losing a bunch of money in China. It, it's pretty interesting. So it's like 20 yeah, That's great. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, I mean that that Gimlet Media one or the the startup. I sent that to everybody when it was. I was like, you guys, if if you're going to be in business, if you don't listen to this, yeah. you have no idea what you're getting into. I mean, that one episode of the uh, where they're where they're working with the business therapist, and yeah. you know, and yeah. they're, yeah, I, I, like, that, Dude, yeah. I mean, it's more. Does it, it doesn't get more raw than that? You know, I know, um, I know. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying, man. Like, I don't know why they sort of deviated, went away from that. You know. Yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Well, Adele, I'll let you get back to it. I appreciate you again taking time out of your day. And we went a little long here, but this is a great conversation, great stories. Um, and I know my listeners are going to totally eat it up. And awesome, obviously man. you got a grand slam on your Kickstarter. I mean, you're, you know, you, and you still got 14 days to go. So, uh, yeah. still That's growing. Right. We'll see you. We'll see you very, in very college, man. Yeah. That, yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Go get, be, become one of the Kickstarter million, million dollar unicorns. Right. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, well, Dale, appreciate right. it. Thanks so much again for your time. And, uh, I look forward to seeing what you guys work on in the future, man. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. See ya. All right. How about that conversation? I, I didn't lie in the intro, man. If you've got to this part, you just heard a rock star project creator talking about Kickstarter and how he did it. So Dale, again, thanks so much for your time and uh, wish you a lot of luck in, on all your projects moving forward. So for everybody else, song we're listening to right now is a song called Honey. Uh, it is off of the Sugar Roses collection. Yeah, you, uh, yeah, Sugar Roses collection. You can go, go out and listen to that right now over on uh, Spotify or iTunes or wherever you get your music. Um, probably the same places you might be getting your podcast. We're probably over there as well. Um, for, you know, Again, if you're getting ready to run a campaign, make sure you guys reach out. Go to the website, Agency. Tons and tons and tons of information there. Uh, check it all out. It's all free. And if you need to chat, by all means, reach out, go to consultation, pick a time out of my calendar, and I'd love to hear what you're working on. So for everybody else, I hope you guys are having a great week, have an even better weekend, and I'll talk to you all on Monday with all brand new episodes of Successfully Fun. For two years of my life, I have lost to a life that kept going overwhelming, so invincible. You knew what I was going through, still you Thought while sniffing online, you know, no, 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 you shouldn't try it. How about we try a better blast? You know, no, 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 it'll work a little faster. You realize the trail that you're looking for is hiding. I keep on missing, maybe it's because I'm out of veins. Get a little bit, little, little, little bit more. Find it, sunshine, sunshine, and more. You think I was a chameleon? Changing for no good reason.
thought while sniffing a line, you know, no, 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 you shouldn't try it. But we try a better blast, you know, no, 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 it'll wiggle a little faster. You realize the trail that you're looking for is hiding. I keep on missing, maybe it's because I'm out of veins. Get a little bit, little, little, little bit more, find it, sunshine, sunshine, and more. My scarlet fingers wrap around your soul and grip it tight. I never meant to let, let, let you know, never meant for you to really know. I'd have you hate me, not to emulate me. They keep on trying, keep on telling me that it is the only way that we should.